Welcome to episode 26 of ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today's guest is Bob Rathbun, who does the play-by-play on Fox Sports Southeast for the Atlanta Hawks. We talk about the evolution of the low post game in the NBA and how it applies to a Hawks offense that features two primary interior presences. We also hear from Dwight Howard and Zach Randolph for their impressions on what it means to be a low post banger in the year 2017. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group, rates, integrity, service. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Thanks for joining us. I'll start you off our usual way, which is I usually ask three quick questions. And for our first one, since you travel with the team uh, broadcasting uh, the game from 30 cities, I would ask you, what's the best NBA road city for food? Oh, boy, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think the usual suspects show up, uh, New York, Chicago, etc., but I think one of the disclaimers we have to make, those of us who do this, uh, is that the NBA season uh, also parallels wintertime. And a lot of times when we go to great cities for food or whatever, the, uh, the weather sometimes does not cooperate. <laughs> and there are, there are nights when you have the, the schedule that gives you the night off in a city. And it might be 17 below zero and the wind howling and you don't feel like going out. So uh, sometimes we are restricted to the nearest restaurant rather than uh, maybe the best one in town. But, uh, you know, all of these cities are great. I mean, it, it all depends on your taste and, and how adventuresome you'd like to be. But uh, I, I think New York and Chicago certainly rate uh, right at the top. All right. Um do you pay any attention to basketball shoes? And if you do, uh, if you could trade shoes with any NBA player, who would be who would you be exchanging footwear with? Uh, I don't. I, I think it is one of the downfalls of my career uh, <laughs> that I have never, from childhood, given a wit about what they were wearing. Uh, the only thing that uh, the only shoe connection I have is that I asked Kent Bazemore when he got his Volt Green Under Armors. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm, you know, at size 12, and he said he was going to get me a pair, and I'm still waiting. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so you know, my that kind of dims my view on player footwear. Now, if they're free, you know, and they come in a timely fashion, I might have more to comment on, but no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, I have, it has never been something that really meant a lot to me to see what the guys were wearing, and I, I stand guilty of that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and for our third and final quick question, I would ask you, who was your favorite basketball player when you were a kid growing up? Well, I was born in Rhode Island before my dad was transferred in the company he worked for, and we moved to North Carolina when I was 11. So like many New Englanders, I was indoctrinated with the Celtics. Uh, and I would have to say that back in the day, John Havlicek was probably my favorite player. Uh, for the reason he's a lot of guys' favorite player of, of my age. Uh, his in, incredible endurance. Uh, obviously, he was you know, a fantastic 
Hall of Fame player, still the Celtics all-time leading scorer, uh, and just a joy to watch. You know, he was the he invented the six-man role. Uh, you know, later uh, became a starter, but you know, the sixth man that we talk about today really began with John Havlicek. So I would have to say he was probably the number one guy. But I must say that um, the guy I sit next to every night uh, rates a very close second because I had the chance to uh, broadcast his games first in high school in North Carolina okay. uh, and then in college and then in the pros. So uh, Dominique is, has always been uh, near and dear to my heart. Excellent. Yeah, we're and, you know, we're ha- I'm having you on here today to talk about, you know, the post game, which kind of tugs and pulls in a battle with the the floor spread three point game. And I have to say that if you were to look at Havlicek and drop him in 2017, he'd be something else. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, I think of, you know, we just retired Pete's number 44, as you know, and I think to what he would have done uh, in today's game. You know, I had a conversation with Dale Brown years ago talking about Pete, uh, just, you know, to get stories and just reminisce. and, And he said that he went back when he was the coach at LSU. He went back and got all the shot charts, which, you know, back in the day were kept by hand. Sure. You know, it's a computer punch board now, but it's it used to be kept by hand, and they still have them in the basketball office. And he overlaid the college three-point line down on top of those <laughs> and went through game by game. And now remember, Pete averaged 44 points a game. Yes, he did. And in college. And Dale claims that had the three-point shot been in, in the rule books when Pete played, based on the LSU shot chart, the depth of his shooting, he would have averaged 57 a game. <laughs> Jeez, and if that you all? saw Pete play, you, yeah. And if you saw Pete play, you know that uh, the depth of his shooting was uh, incredible. Sure. Uh, Steph Curry is the only guy today that I've seen that rivals Pete in terms of the ball handling and the passing and the you know all that stuff. Plus the depth of the shooting. Sure. Uh, He's the only guy I've seen that ever that he's come close to being average. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, I have you on here today because I wanted to talk the low post game and big men and trying to uh, survive in a game that's currently being skewed more and more towards the three-point shot. And so before right. we get into that, uh, I wanted to play a clip of uh, Dwight Howard talking about what it's like to play in the post in 2017. It seems like the last couple of weeks, or maybe even more than that, but when, when you've been posting up, you've been posting up in the middle of the lane as opposed to the blocks. How did that sort of game plan come about? It wasn't a game plan. It wasn't it's just flow of the offense? Or? I mean, it's the easiest way to get buckets. Just try to run down the floor and steal in the paint. And a lot of times we, when we do that, we get teams in foul trouble quick. Well, so they will have to... But the, the bigs have to, you know, second-guess themselves. Um, do they foul or do they give up the easy basket? And, you know, after we get in the penalty early, that's when guys like Dennis Paul and Tim and, and Bays can really attack the basket because, you know, they do win the penalty, win the bonus, you know, and that's good for us. Do you, you've been in the league a long time. The game has changed a lot since when you came in the league. Definitely. And it seems like you've got... Like it seems like now the big men, they have to do 
I don't want to say just, but a lot more of the dirty jobs and less of the glory jobs. Do you, do you feel that way? Well, at the end of the day, um, it says Atlanta Hawks. It doesn't say Atlanta Howards. It doesn't say the big man. You know, it says the team. We win, we all win. We lose, we all lose. And we win a championship. Nobody's going to remember who scored the most points, who got the most rebounds. The only thing they're going to remember <clears throat> is that team won a championship. So, that has to be all of our mindsets. Is not focus on, you know, who's who's going to get the glory, because you know when one person eat, we win. We all going to eat. And that's that. That has to be the mindset. Do you care though that there's so many three point shots and so many little guys flopping? I mean, for me, yeah. <laughs> sorry to ask you uh, so many questions. Yeah, when I'm in the paint, you know, and you know guys are flopping and stuff like that. And, they're saying I'm too strong, and I'm like, well, all all of us have, we have the ability to go on the weight room and lift weights and stuff like that. And, you know, I can't help that I take pride in lifting weights. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but a lot of us get penalized for that. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> a win is, is better than a loss. No matter how ugly it is, no matter how many fouls any of us get, we win. It's going to look good. Thank you. I really appreciate it. My first question would be that you've seen more basketball than I have. Before we go trying to fix a problem, is there a problem to fix? Is it tougher now for, for the interior players, the big men, to do their thing than it has been before? Or do you recall well, something I, similar where there's been a struggle like this? Yeah, no, the game has changed. Um, a couple of things came to mind uh, when thinking about this and then listening to Dwight and, and Zebo is that I think there's sort of a mythology about big men in the history of professional basketball that we seem to think that the, uh, like dinosaurs roaming the earth, that they were everywhere, and everybody had a dominant center uh, that was seven feet tall and weighed 300 pounds and <laughs> just, you know, did everything in the middle. And that's kind of a myth. Uh, we remember the greats, uh, the George Mikans, the Will Chamberlains, the Bill Russells, et cetera, uh, because of the mark that they left on our game. But not everybody had these, and there were only 12 teams or so back then, <laughs> uh, you know, unlike today. But I think, I think two things have changed. I think, obviously, uh, in the last decade or so, the, the advent of the, of the three-point shot has changed. Uh, but the rules of the game have changed, and I think that overrides so much of, of what we see in today's game. Uh, you know, we talked about Nick a moment ago, and think of his era, uh, just the 80s, not to even go back to the 50s and 60s, but just sure. in the 80s, uh, when you could hand check and when you had physical contact, you needed uh, behemoths to take the, uh, the physical battle. And there was a, there was a desire uh, amongst everyone, and they had them, uh, not only just the center position, but power forward, small forward, they were big guys. Sure. Big, hulking guys. And the game has changed. Uh, and I think probably the rules of the game have had more to do with what we're experiencing today than any other aspect. I think there are still big people out there. I think there are, the next day that, uh, that a, a great center like a Dwight Howard comes along out of high school, uh, they'll be in just as great a demand. Uh, as they as they were when Dwight came along, so I I think it uh, we're only a few players away from seeing the center position redefined, 
but it has changed. There's no question. And uh, and what you're seeing is the you know the the pebble in the lake. The ripple effect of of all this is you don't have guards that know how to feed the post anymore. I mean, we are example A of how not to work with a big man who knows how to post up, and because we've never had one. Right. Um, I mean, you got to go way back. Uh, for the Hawks to have a center that demanded the ball in the post like this guy does. Even Dikembe didn't demand the ball like, like Dwight does. Sure. And it takes an adjustment. And if you've never played with a, a center like that, there's going to be an incredible, I think, learning curve to figure out how, in Bud's offense, do we do this? How do we, you know, he's sort of the antithesis of Al Horford. So how do we change how we approach and attack with a guy like this to make him uh, so va- very valuable around that rim, uh, because he is such a such a great offensive weapon close to the basket. So I, that's a long-winded answer uh, sure. uh, to your question, but I, I just think that there's a lot more to it than just oh there aren't any centers anymore. Uh, what are we going to do? I think we have to look at you know the past decades and to see how we've gotten to this point. But you don't see him in college either. Um, and when we open the game up, rules-wise, okay. to uh, you know, to the advent of the of the international player, uh, when we, when they did come, you had seven footers like Dirk and Bargnani that were, you know, face-up guys that were mm-hmm. shooters. So that helped change the game too. So I think all of that is sort of a long-winded uh, answer to your question. Okay. Well, there's a, there's a lot to pull apart there, and part of it's about the Hawks, and part of it's about the league in general and rules, and I want to come back to the rules later, but let's okay. dig into the Hawks part a little bit. Um, you know, you've got two high-caliber big men in Paul Millsap and Dwight Howard, and sometimes they initiate the offense through pick and roll, sometimes they initiate it through the low post. And just going bit by bit here, if we start with the pick and roll first, you know, how should the Hawks be setting up plays and you know assuming that Hardaway or Schroeder is going to be the ball handler who should be you know if you have Millsap and Howard on the floor at the same time who would you have setting the screen who do the Hawks have setting the screen the most and you know how would you incorporate the other big man into the offense at the same time if they're not setting the screen well, first of all, I'm flattered that you had asked me uh, what I would do. I have never coached. I wouldn't know which end of the clipboard to hold if they asked me. Uh, and I, I would let the experts on our coaching staff handle this one. Sure. But I will say this. You know, you've got, I think, an interesting tug of war uh, with our basketball team. You've got a coach who has prided himself on pace and space and ball movement and player movement. It's worked for him. Uh, he knows how to incorporate the big man, whether it was Nesterovich or Duncan or you know whoever they had at the time in San Antonio. So he's not unfamiliar with playing with a post guy. Sure. But in a guy like Dwight Howard, you've got a unique creature here. I mean, this is not a guy who's pick and pop at all. He's not a guy that is going to uh, set a screen at the high post be your role guy and make a play on the move. That's not his thing. Right. This is a this is your classic back to the basket, either in the middle of the lane or on either block, post up, get big, seal the defender, have the pass hit you, turn, dunk, score. 
That's it. Sure. Because you know the stats. I mean, Dwight outside of three feet, let's not look at the numbers. <laughs> um, you know, he's got to get that ball around the hole. And sure. with his um, with his inability to consistently hit free throws, when that ball goes into the post, uh, he's and he tries to make a move, he's going to get tackled. So you've got to make the entry pass immediate. When Dwight runs the floor like he does, and, and the last couple of games he's been terrific. I mean, his first quarter yesterday was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say yesterday. as would be uh, the Brooklyn game. Um, and, and really in Milwaukee and, and, and Washington before that. But you got to hit him right now. And we are just still, uh, this deep into the season, still finding our way with uh, particularly Dennis as to how to feed him properly. Right. Because when he does get it right away, it's over. He's going to score. I mean, he's shooting 75% three feet and in. It's go- he's going to score. Uh, but we don't, we don't do that consistently. And unless you've also got a team that can shoot from the outside, that's going to open up that lane a little bit, uh, it's going to make it doubly tough. And we don't shoot the ball that well. Right. Um, you know, particularly with Corver gone and, you know, the the trades and the free agent uh, losses that we've had, you know, we're, we've got four starters that could shoot the ball, um, and we don't have that anymore. Uh, so it's when it's a struggle to shoot from the outside, the yin and the yang of the, of the game uh, makes it a little tougher for Dwight. Now, who should feed him? I think the guy who feeds him better on a roll is Paul. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably the best guy we got. Because he's got that sense of the inside game and where the big needs it and when. Uh, and he's excellent at that. So, uh, you know, how you get to him and how you do all that, you know, I'll leave that to the coaches. But just from my amateur observations, to me, that's the, that's the thing that, that I see. No, uh, I, I agree with you entirely. And I think, I think, you know, the things that you say are, are backed up by the numbers. If you look at the pick and roll – Howard actually scores a little bit better than Millsap uh, at, when he's shooting the ball coming off the pick and roll. But they use Millsap in that role so much more often because, you know, I think in part, like you say, because Millsap's a better passer. If you have Dwight right. coming off the pick and roll and he catches it and the help comes over, you know, he's not the type of player who's going to make that easy feed to Millsap or know who's open in the corner. Where for Millsap, that's really his bread and butter. No question. And I think that that Paul also opens it up for Dwight because the opponents have to respect his outside shot, the mid-range shot. Um, there's just a whole lot of moving parts, as you know, uh, that goes into this. It's just not, it's not baseball where you got a guy in a batter's box and a pitcher throwing to him. I mean, it's, there's a whole, there's 10 guys in concert here sure. that, that have to be accounted for. And uh, it's a very simple game, but yet it's very hard to play well consistently. And I think we see that the growing pains. You know, the teams that have playoff experience been together years and years and years. And, uh, you know, we're trying to change out our two most important positions uh, in one season uh, with the point guard and the center. Uh, and it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And I know nobody wants to hear that. Uh, they think that you should be uh, a finely tuned Swiss watch on opening night and get better. Uh, but that's just not the way the game is. I hear you. Um, 
switching a little bit from from the pick and roll to the low post, you know, one of the things I asked Dwight about in that clip, and I think one of the things we've seen more of lately, is them using Dwight just straight under the basket. And early in the season, we saw it where they would run the fast break and Dwight would go straight under the hoop and try to seal his man and, and get low post buckets or at least low post opportunities in the fast break. And now we're seeing a little bit more in the half court. Um, and, you know, I think the interesting thing about them using him like that in the half court offense is that they're not really posting him on the block. They're posting him straight under the basket just two feet away and I think there are pros and cons to that but one of the cons is they're inviting some difficulty with three second violations I mean Mm -hmm. how do you think this is going to play out in the end is is this going to be a sustainable type of post move for him or the Hawks going to get better at those entry passes so that he's not waiting forever and ever well to me that's the key I I think you nailed it I think you've got to get you got to be able to see the floor in transition and get him the ball. When The thing about feeding the post, I mean, it's almost an art form. And in the NBA, the game moves so fast sure. that you've got to make that pass right now. And if you don't, the moment's gone. You know, the, the defender's coming around your back. Uh, you know, you're in the lane. The count's <laughs> begun. Uh, when that ball comes over midcourt. So, you know, you had all these factors. And I think I would like to go back and see uh, our clips to when he makes that middle move in the lane in transition, how many times he's open and how many times we get in the ball when, he's ha- when he has to have it. Sure. Uh, if you can't do that, then the whole thing kind of breaks down. And, um, you know, working him on the post, it, it invites the dig down, it invites the double team all of that stuff. Um, interesting point. I, I, I have to go back and look at that. But I think the, the main thing that just sitting there watching the games is like he'll get open, he'll get big, he'll spread those arms, the lane's fairly open, the defender's been sealed, and there's no pass. <laughs> yep. And and then he's got to regroup. You know, he's got to get out of lane. He's got to, uh, you know, get his post-up position. And by that time, you know, we're into something else. You know, sure. the, you know, with the offense that Bud runs, as you know, it's just a motion offense, a read and react, and the point guard has a lot of responsibility um, to make the decisions of where to go and 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 what to do when we get there. And I, I to me, that's the the number one thing with Dwight is get it to him when he's open, and where to get it to him. You know, uh, it doesn't do much good to throw the ball in his left hand. <laughs> You know, get him, get him to his right hand. You know where he can then make the move. He can either continue uh, with the momentum taking him to his right. Sure. He can pivot and go yep. back. You know all of those things. But you got to have those conversations. You've got to have that in practice. Big fellow, where do you want it? When do you want it? You know, one of the best I've ever been around was Don Nelson, and Smitty tells the story of playing. Uh, uh, Stinger, excuse me, uh, Stinger would tell the story about playing for Nelly. And, and Stinger would get hot, and they would go to the timeout, and Nelson would look right at Mike and say, Stinger, where do you want the screen and how? Because we're going to keep running this play till you cool off. And I think that's kind of the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the dynamic that you have to have with Dwight. 
big fella, where you want it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And when do you want it? And Dwight said, give it to me right now. Boom. <laughs> and I got it, and I can make the plug. You know? That seems to me. Again, this is I, I hate to uh, come off as some coaching expert. I am not. Sure, sure. I am just a fan with a microphone and just watching these games. But, boy, it just you've got such an asset. Um, and I thought it was, was a challenge for all of us, the coaches and the players. How do we get the best out of Dwight at this stage of his career, not play him 30 minutes a night, and still do the things that we want to do with our offense? Right with body movement and player movement and passes and all of that stuff. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it's a, that's why I love these games. I, every <laughs> night to me is like a laboratory. And, it's like chess. And I just, love, I just love the pro game. I agree. And I have to point out a couple of things here. One is you're right. I, I think that if you look at the Washington game, the Milwaukee game, and then the Brooklyn game, the last three games, I I think we've seen maybe the best post play from Dwight the whole season. And so, you know, when I asked him those questions, that was a couple of weeks ago that I asked him those questions, and it seemed like all his post moves were coming from right under the basket. I think he got got a little bit of a comfort zone in Washington and Milwaukee where he was doing more work from the block than he has done at other points this season. You know, he got a couple of buckets right underneath, and then once he did that, he took a couple from the post and took two steps and a dribble and, and, and made a hook shot. And he was getting to a point where it wasn't just the ones flat under the basket. It was some of the ones where he had to make a move or two or a step or two into the move coming from the side. And I think as he gets more and more comfortable, maybe we'll see more of that. that uh, it's it's well, an and he's had to. encouraging development. He's had to. Right. He's had to without Paul. I exactly. mean, we don't have a choice. You know, <laughs> you know we got to throw it in there. And uh, and I think he's done an outstanding job. I I just thought the energy and the effort uh, in the Brooklyn game uh, was terrific. Uh, but yeah. you know, you when you can't hit an outside shot, you're not going to beat anybody. Uh, <laughs> and when you shoot 18 percent on threes, it's just not going to happen. Right. That's what they did against Brooklyn. Oof. Yeah, it was it was wretched. I want to take a minute to talk about today's sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group encourages people to shop rates when they're looking to refinance or buy a new home. They have some of the lowest rates in the country and some of the lowest closing costs too. They will even give you a quote where they'll credit you money towards the closing costs or cover all of them. Check them out at www.polimortgage.com. That's www.poli mortgage.com or call 781-232-8000. Make sure to tell them that ATL and 29 sent you to receive a credit of $50 towards your closing costs. Offers cannot be combined with other offers. Poli Mortgages, Rates, Integrity, Service. All licensing information is in the show notes. Poli is an equal housing lender. Uh, I asked Zach Randolph what it might take for post-play to become in vogue again. You're in the top 10 in the number of shots taken from the post, and Mark leads the league. How does the Grizzlies get as much offense from the post when less teams around the NBA are doing it? Because that's how we built. That's the way his team built up. It's our personnel. That's the way we play. That's the way we've been playing. You know, that's our, that's our strengths of the team. Do you get a little bit sad when you see it as almost like a, a fading art? No. I see that's better. It's better to be unique? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
do you think that the, the rules kind of favor different styles of play as opposed to the post game? Is that why? Nah, not really. I don't think so. You know, everything is a revolving clock, man. Everything goes in circle and comes back around. So it'll come back. Around. It'll come back? Yeah, it always does. Thanks, man. If you look across the league, with the exception of Memphis, you see teams going to the low post less and less. What do you think it'll take for the low post game to come back into style in a natural fashion? Teams playing to their strength. I think when you've got a team like Memphis, when you've got these two bruisers like they have, you know, they're smart. Play to your strength. And then just by virtue of that, the quote-unquote post game comes back into vogue. That's what these guys do. I mean, this is this is how they operate. And now Gasol has has added the three-point shot, but Zebo is just the classic uh, low post. I mean, you know, right. left-handed and all the junk. And I mean, he's great to watch. I mean, knows his way around the basket, um, knows all the tricks. He's he's really good. He's really fun. So I think it, it's mainly playing to your strength rather than some big philosophical decision that oh we're gonna you know our five man <laughs> is we're gonna get. It. I don't think that's the case at all. Right. I I think it's just. Uh, when you find them, uh, you put them in there because they're very valuable. Um, you know, one of the more underrated uh, aspects of the game is getting the other guy in foul trouble. And when you've got a low post presence, uh, it's a lot easier to get those bigs and those those forwards uh, into foul difficulty because uh, they're just not going to give you layup after layup after layup, dunk after dunk after dunk. So uh, there's there's more to it than just scoring. There's a lot of ancillary benefits to having post play. But I think that just the matter of when they come along and putting them in and you go to work. You know, I don't think if if uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, came back, I don't think we'd kick him out of the league just because he's a five. <laughs> yeah, likes the ball around the basket. I think we could find a way to use him. Okay. Well, if uh... – if we were to try to artificially spur things and level the playing field once again, uh, what would be some of the rule changes? I, I came up with three, and I asked you to come up with three. If, if there were just a few things that you could do to kind of balance things out and maybe uh, make it so that you know the inside game and the outside game were, were valued sort of equally by teams around the league, what would be a few of the rule changes that you'd want to implement? Well, I think it's a, it's a two-sided uh, uh, approach. I, I think the, uh, the game has, has gotten out of balance with a three-point shooting. And I think what I would do, I think I would tinker with getting rid of illegal defense. Uh, and just, you just play whatever you want to play uh, with no – don't worry about the lane. Like, <laughs> I think our three-point defense would be a lot better – if we could do that, okay, uh, just put Dwight under the basket and say, you guys come in here if you want to, but we're going <laughs> to stay home on all your shooters and just let him protect the cup. And I think that would challenge the three-point shooter, and I think you'd get more movement rather than just everything being geared to, you know, taking 43s a game. Um, that would be one that I would I would seriously consider uh, that. That one I'd have to think about. And, and the other thing, if you really want to get radical, take away the corner three. Oh, wow. Now that one, you know, 
will never pass in a million years because people want to see it. It's like the DH in baseball, you know. Uh, <laughs> but right where the line turns to go straight, you know, right there at the break of the circle, right. when the line goes straight to the to the baseline, make that, then angle that line to the sideline right there and, and take away the corner three. I think that would change things. I think that would make it a little more inviting uh, to drive the basketball and, and to get it inside. Um, okay. Because I just, I'm just not a big fan of the one-way basketball. I, sure. You know, I think the three-point shots, you know, key. But I just, to the exclusion of everything else, um, you know, I like ice cream, but I don't want to eat it ten times a day. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. In fact, you know, I I came up with three. The ones, the ones that I came up with, is I thought that the three-point line should be uniform. And again, like you say, it'll never happen. I don't think it will happen because to make the three-point line uniform, you'd have to widen the court. And to widen the court, you'd have to take away a row of seats. But I think if, if that three-point shot were longer from the corners, it would be harder to make. Teams wouldn't make them as much. And it would pull the help defense further away from the low post so that you know they wouldn't have guys who could dig down as easily as they do now to try to double team or at least shade towards a double team. Another one that I had was traveling. <laughs> do you remember the PJ Tucker travel when Toronto was in Atlanta? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thought he was doing the Samba. He caught the ball. He took no fewer than five steps after he caught it before he went up for a jump shot. Can you imagine if somebody in the low post got away with five steps? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Dwight took five steps. It is one thing, and I will defend the referees on this one. Sure. Uh, We asked them to do so much. Now, that lead referee, who's the guy on the baseline, okay? Okay. Think of all the things he's going to be looking for. Sure. And if he's going to look at the feet, he's going to miss something with the hands, the elbows, the, you know. Sure. All of that. Uh, we'll have to do another podcast about officiating, but I think <laughs> I think I must defend the guys uh, on that one because that's you know you gotta you, gotta, you can only look at one place at one time, and I think the the post guys kind of get called for it a little bit more uh, than normal, mainly because the referees are trained. Where did you establish your pivot foot? Sure. And as soon as that's established. You know, when you're when the ball is somewhere else, that's really not their first point of of emphasis. Seems right. to me. And the game is slower at that point. They've they've set up a spot, they're looking, they're trained to look for it, and so it's easier to catch the low post ones, but I don't know, there's just too many times where somebody catches the ball, takes two steps into a stop, surveys the floor, maybe fakes a pass, and then they finally get ready to make their move and then they start to dribble, but they take a step before they dribble too, and it just I don't know. It seems like the exterior, you know, the guys who aren't playing in the paint get away with so many more steps than the ones in the paint. All right, well, the last one I had is just, you know how the the NBA game is officiated from the low post now where, you know, you have to bend your arm. You're not allowed to sort of stiff arm a guy in the back. So you have to play with your right. arm bent, and you're allowed to put your forearm in there for leverage. But what I've seen now is that, you know, because they're not playing with their arm extended and because it's ineffective to play with your forearm on them, it just seems like there's so much pulling now. It seems like when, when there's a small guy in the post trying to defend, they'll just pull on the shoulders, pull on the upper biceps, 
you know, pull on the rib cage, and instead of, you know, trying to maintain a contact, they'll just try to make it a series of pull motions, and, you know, you watch a guy like Dwight who's so strong, and they just, I don't know, it frustrates me that, that they don't, you know, you could see somebody who's obviously not physically able to stay with an interior player just surviving by pulling and that they don't call a foul for that. But anyways, enough yeah. about that. You Like you said, officiating no, I, is a separate podcast. No, that's a good one. I, I think so. Um, you know, we had, like yesterday, when, when um, or the Brooklyn game, when um, when Dennis got nailed in the el- by the elbow, right. um on the screen, they can't even technically look at that. Right. Now, any other any other time, they can stop the game if there's a blow to the head, but why can't you do it on that play? So there's a lot of things that, that need to be tweaked. And uh, and if, if our fans have been watching the NCAA tournament, you know that our officials are light years, <laughs> light years ahead of our brethren in the college game. So... Uh, we'll have to do a podcast on officiating because I've I've got some theories on that one. But I just I agree with those are three good ones, three right. good ones. I like that. Well, or I'm also encouraged. I'm encouraged by the fact that uh, that the D League experimented with some four official and five official games. I I think that could work. You know, if you have four uh, four umpires for a baseball game, and you know what baseball looks like relative to basketball, you know, I I can't see why you wouldn't want to have four officials or five officials for, for basketball, provided that they're out of the way and that they're not tripping over each other. But extra sets of eyes can't really hurt. <laughs> right. I, think. We'll I, see. I would like to – I haven't really studied it uh, in the D-League, but my, my my overall impression is basketball is a lot easier to officiate standing still sure. than it is on the move. Exactly. And the angles you get – officiating is all angles. you got to be in the right spot to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, they teach us that with just the replays. You know, they'll have a play, and they'll show us a play, and they'll say, okay, take a look at this. Now, what's the call? And you'll be seeing it from the high camera, the one, you know, the <laughs> mid-court look where you're right. looking down. And then we say, okay, well, that was a charge, you know, or that was a block or whatever the call may be. And then you look at it from the lower camera, the handheld or the slash camera, well, it looks like a completely different play. <laughs> so it's all angles. It's all positioning. And uh, a fourth official, I think, would be kind of neat. Uh, if you don't have to bust your butt, you know, if you are if you go from the trail to the lead on a fast break, well, if there's already somebody at the other end of the court waiting for the play coming at them, I would think that would be beneficial. Yeah. Well, is there uh, is there anything else you want to talk about today? Oh, this, I got plenty to talk about. But we're going to run That's out an of open tape. invitation. <laughs> well, I know I just I love talking the game, and uh, it's just great. And I I really do appreciate you having me on. This is a lot of fun for me. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, thank you so much for for coming on and talking a bit. I it's uh it's a treat. Well, thanks. I I appreciate it, and. Uh, can't wait for the playoffs. All right. Because well, we will make the playoffs. We're recording here on a Monday, so I'll probably bump into you at practice here in a little bit. So uh, I'll see you in about an hour. Okay, great. <laughs> Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group. Rates, integrity, service. <laughs>